You're listening to the Library Pros Podcast with Chris and Bob, a techie librarian and a computer IT guy discussing libraries, technology, and all things this side of the reference desk. Thanks, Carl. Hi, and welcome to a very special episode of the Library Pros Podcast. I'm Chris, and Bob will be joining us shortly. Tonight, we're going to do something a little bit different. Uh, We're going to have a panel of librarians from across Nassau County, Suffolk County, and New South Wales, Australia, talking about coronavirus and how it's affected our lives, our careers, uh, our libraries, and the profession as a whole. So as we continue, uh, we're going to have a great panel. Uh, Some of the people who are going to be with us today are going to be James Hutter from Port Washington Library, Nick Tanzi from the South Huntington Library, Sally Stiglitz from the Long Island Library Resources Council, uh, Carol Ann Tack from the Merrick Library, uh, Rob Thompson from uh, Australian Library Information Association, representative for New South Wales, Sally, um, Sally Turbot from Newcastle University in New South Wales, uh, along with, of course, Bob, and Jessica Chowton from Syosset Library and some other people as well. So here we go. Uh, we're going to begin the conversation in just a moment. Okay, so here we are with an, with a great group of library professionals talking about coronavirus. So this is Chris from the podcast, uh, along with Bob. Say hi, Bob. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Okay, and let's go around starting with Rob. And, of course, his audio cuts out. Perfect timing, Rob. <laughs> Perfect. Wait, try it again. Start over. Go ahead, Rob. Um, so I'm Rob Thompson, and I'm the Australian Library and Information Association um, Alia, New South Wales State Manager, which sounds quite fancy, but it's me. Um, and uh, yes, I'm coming to you direct from uh, Windang in Wollongong, New South Wales, Australia. Okay, Chris, you, go ahead. You're next, Chris. Uh, this is Chris Kretz. I'm the head of academic engagement at Stony Brook University, uh, currently broadcasting from what I'm calling the Fortress of Solitude. Of <laughs> <laughs> and one of the awesome Sallies is with us. That's me. So I'm from Long Island Library uh, Resources Council, where I am the communications and marketing person. Okay, and Jessica? Hi, my name is Jessica Shortan. I am from Syosset Public Library. I am the Community Engagement Specialist there at Syosset uh, Public Library, Syosset, New York. And Carol Ann. Hello, everyone. I am Carol Ann Tack. I am Head of Reader Services at Merrick Library and also lucky enough to be host of the Top Shelf at Merrick Library podcast. Thanks for having me, Chris. Sure. And then last but never least, Nick Tanzi. <laughs> Okay, so Nick Tansey, I'm the assistant director over at the South Huntington Public Library, and uh, I'm also uh, a column editor for Public Libraries Magazine. Okay, so we are here today to talk about coronavirus. Now, if the listener is listening six months from when this was released, which will be released tonight, so there's no editing, guys. Um Kind of wanted it all out there. Mistakes. Thanks for no. telling me that. Gotta mean what you say. So we are in the throes of coronavirus outbreak. Um, I can't even say what day it is because we don't even know when it started for real. Uh, but all I can say is here in New York, we are in the throes of it. As of the time of this recording, we were we are broken in just in New York State as a whole. 2,000 people infected. Now, everybody, you know, it, it, it is a little disconcerting, but 
these numbers were probably there to begin with. It's just that the testing hasn't been there and still isn't really there yet. Um, so those numbers are going to go up. So what we want to talk to you today about is why what's happening with the libraries, uh, both Nassau and Suffolk and New South Wales with Rob, um, yep. with regard to uh, shutdown, why we shut down, you know, how did we get here? Uh, you know, a whole we have a whole litany of things we want to talk about, you know. So just going through the beginning of it, let's kind of go around the horn and talk about, um, you know, why did we shut down? So I, I'm just going to throw it out there in the beginning. Uh, I think most of us were kind of in the same boat. We Our libraries couldn't shut down or wouldn't shut down until there was an active or a positive test within our library districts. And when that happened originally, then the school district would shut down and then the library would shut down. Um, that's, I believe, what happened at, at my library. And since then, there was it, it became apparent that that standard really just wasn't going to work. This, and the interesting thing about what's happening now is what the standard that works one day will not work the next. So in terms of what happened is it seemed like once a couple of libraries started to shut down, it, it, it's a little bit more than, you know, uh, waiting for the first, first, the first library to close before a snowstorm. Uh, I think it had a lot to do with policy and a bunch of different factors. So why don't we go around the horn? Why don't we start with Nick since he's uh, an assistant director? So let's let's start with you, Nick. Tell us about what the process was for you guys. Well, you know, for a lot of people, I think we're almost looking at it a little bit backwards where we kind of look at closure as, uh, you know, we're reducing services. It's a service reduction when really for us closing was, was a community service. Uh, you know, by and large, you know, we're all trying to flatten that curve. And, you know, the, the first responsibility we have to the community is safety ahead of anything else. So, you know, we weren't going to wait for an outbreak. Our intention was to close prior to, you know, um, you know, and kind of be responsive. We wanted to get ahead of it and we wanted to slow any potential community transfer. Um, so really it wasn't, you know, and then of course the situation moves so quickly and you never want to look like you're the crazy people that are closing before there's a thing, you know, to use your, uh, your snow closure response. You don't want to be the library that closes and then it doesn't snow. Mm -hmm. um, but in this yeah. case, it was a preventative measure and really it was intended to basically slow any potential transfer and to kind of get ahead of that curve, to flatten that curve. And so, you know, that's how we viewed it. Um, and that was kind of our guiding principle, more so than waiting for what the school district did. Although in truth, everything pretty much happened at once. You know, uh, by the time Monday rolled around, we had closed on a Saturday and by Monday, everybody was mass closures. So, Bob, why don't you tell us um, what happened over at Emma? Uh, same thing as, as what Nick said. You know, so we watched um, a couple of infections start in different parts of uh, Nassau County. And then uh, school districts closed down. And basically at the same time, we heard libraries were closing down. So um, we watched it carefully. Uh, you know, Ted was really on top of the numbers and looking at things and uh, got in touch with the board. Um, we canceled our, our board meeting. Um, and then... It really, like Nick said, it just started snowballing. It was a domino effect, you know? So all of a sudden school districts all over the place were closing down, whether or not there was an infection in their community. 
Um, and then libraries pretty much followed suit, not because the school district closed down, but because it was a good idea for the community as a whole to try and get ahead of whatever we could and flatten that curve exactly like Nick said. So, yeah. so, so Chris, tell us what happened over at Stony Brook University, because it's kind of a unique situation over there now where you have the drive-in um, testing going on, right? Right. Well, there was a couple of earlier stages, um, even um, when we called back the students that were studying abroad. And the, the SUNY system was how they still are housing some of them in quarantine out at our uh, Southampton campus. So, you know, it, this whole thing has sort of been like this slow motion car crash ahead of you on the highway. You sort of see mm. the, th the, the things moving. Um, and as they're coming closer to you, you know, how are you going to react? So, you know, the whole I can't speak for the SUNY system as a whole. The governor is, is the one that kind of controls all, a lot of that. But um, we made the decision to move classes online before spring break. So that was like sort of the, one of the first steps to mitigate, you know, social distancing and you know, remove some of that um, exposure of, of large groups of people together. Um, we've expanded spring break. So we have another week of spring break. And then after that, we're all going online. Our, our libraries are actually limited uh, hours, but there is a location or two that are still open, but we've mitigated a lot of, they've, they've moved a lot of the tables. So I don't know if they were doing this before you guys closed, but you know, taking out extra chairs just so people couldn't literally sit that close together. Um, but it, it's a developing situation still. So there are some locations where it's still open for people to come in because we still have a few students living in the dorms. Most are going home, but uh, it, it's very complicated when you get into a, we have, I think 20,000 plus uh, faculty, staff, and students in basically, which is a, a city in, in Suffolk um, that we have to deal with. So it's, it's still developing, but most of us are working from home now. And Jessica, well, tell us what, what happened over at Syosset. Well, I mean, first of all, I have to say, like all of us, I'm sure, you know, we're all like, I can't believe this is actually happening, which, you know, but it was. Um, and what happened was, you know, first we heard a rumor that somebody in um, a district next to us had tested positive and that school closed down and, you know, first they were saying deep cleaning and then the uh, neighborhood next to us, same thing, um, school closed down, deep cleaning, and we were all just sort of monitoring the news and kind of wondering, okay, where are libraries going to fall into this? And as was mentioned by other people on this uh, list, you know, one by one, we'd hear, our library is closing for three days for deep cleaning. No, we're closing for two weeks. Okay, our library is closing for three days for deep cleaning. No, we're two weeks. Came around to Syasa School District, and that started to follow suit. We were closed on, I believe, that Friday, Friday the 13th, yay, I think we closed then. Um, we had at that point made the decision that all programming was going to be canceled until March 31st. So programming on-site, off-site, canceled until March 31st. Um, and then it just came to be that, you know, it was realized that the cleaning was not going to be enough and that we were going to have to shut down the library to the public for the safety of the public for the safety of the staff until right now it's March 30th is what we're saying. Right. And that seems to be the, for lack of a better the way to describe it. Standard. Right. Yeah. That seems to be that the magic bullet is March, March 30th, March 31st, April 1st, April 3rd. Cause my daughter goes to the university of Rhode Island and they're expecting classes to begin in person on April 3rd, which we kind of all are like, yeah, in person. That's, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, that's, yeah. that's not going to happen. We all know it's not going to happen, but I think just have to tell that It's a wait and see thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Caroline, tell us about what happened over at Merrick. So we started out with canceling our, programming, adult children's programming. We started 
that through the 31st and immediately started implementing the social distancing. So we took all the chairs away and, you know, we kept so that everybody had the right amount of distance. We did that with all our public computer terminals. And then very quickly after that, we didn't have anybody locally that tested positive, but there were enough people in the surrounding communities that sort of prompted the director to approach the board and say, you know, for everyone's safety, um, we really need to, we really need to shut down. And Friday the 13th, we did. And it was really quick. I, it was a snowball effect, like everybody is saying. First, we started with the adult programming. And then within a day, we had moved all the chairs, everything was cleaned. And then we decided, okay, on the 13th, we would stop. And we did. And everybody's working from home. And, and you know, I, I also found it, as you were saying that, maybe I, I didn't explain it the right way with Sage. It was the same thing. Like, uh, we're going to close down for the weekend, and we're going to do a good deep cleaning. So let's cancel all the programs Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Then it turned to let's start talking about closing programs for the next two weeks. Then it was we're going to close for two weeks. Then it seemed as though the directors started mobile, at least in Suffolk, I can't speak for Nassau, um, the directors started having uh, teleconferences and kind of having more of a unified message to try to figure out what was going on. Then they had meetings with the the county executive and the board of health and, and all these other, you know, suits as it were. And, and it's, again, it was a district by district decision and not every district closed right away, but it seems as though that at some point when the governor started to really talk seriously about this, it seems as though it was, it made the right set, the right thing. And then the language you started to hear was out of abundance of, of caution and um, until further notice and, and this language that, you know, really, it is is finite yet not really specific. It's very finite language. It's very direct language, and it's language that is kind of open ended as well. So yeah, I mean, and Chris, just I, you know, I think part of this too. It's basically been all of our experiences, as we've just mentioned, is in the absence of testing, we're we're operating in an absence of information. And yes. so a lot of these two-week closures are intended to buy us breathing room to get better information. Um, and we do notice that every week, every couple of days, the information gets better. We're getting clearer guidance, at least from the CDC, yep. um, and state and local, you know, uh, entities. Um, but really, that that was the trick: was in the absence of information, you have to be cautious and you have to kind of get that breathing room to give yourself, uh, you know, an opportunity to make a more informed decision. And as testing ramps up, I think you notice that now, um, you know, obviously they're getting more aggressive in their measures. And that's because the information we're getting is making it clear it's it's community spread. It's in all 50 states, um, <laughs> as opposed to before, you know, where everybody's acting like, uh, you know, a couple states of the cooties, and that's that's not at all what's going on. Right, right, um, right. Yeah. So, Rob, tell us about what's happening down under. Okay, so first of all, I have to say that uh, in New South Wales and across the well, in New South Wales, um, each council uh, controls the libraries in their in their council area, and there are I don't know, nearly five hundred councils across New South Wales. It's not that many; it's about four eighty nine or something like that. 
Um, so each council is making a decision based on their own particular set of circumstances. Universities um, pretty much like, sorry, for councils, uh, so public libraries, um, pretty much they've stopped all sort of public programming, um, kids and adults. And anybody who can work from home is um, encouraged to work from home. Uh, there's still some public facing uh, activities happening within the library. Uh, so still people can go to the library. Um, universities have pretty much gone straight to um, closing. Um, they're still uh, providing services within the um, for online access and those sorts of things and for providing research help and those kind of things. But you phone in or you email, um, so that kind of thing. Um, so the uh, for things like law libraries that I the one I know of, they're still providing services, but they're doing it from home or they're at the library and they're only no one comes in, but it's you know they're still providing services. Um, so each so there's a a bit of a thing across Australia, sort of saying we should be closing libraries, but each library has to respond to its own community and therefore you can't make a blanket every library should close but everybody every library is scaling back on its uh, exposure to the public um, but i suspect that by the end of next week all libraries will mo most public spaces will close there was a need it came out yesterday to say that no gatherings of more than 100 uh, indoors, um, the no more than 500 outdoors, but no more than 100 indoors, which kind of restricts how many people can be in a library anyway. Um, so most public libraries are so restricted now that it's becoming less and less um, you know, open, open for business as normal. And most of these are closing for until further notice. Yeah, so using the same language there that we're using here. Yeah, 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 yeah. Same. So Sally, tell us as a as a as a regional council how this has affected what what Lurick does. Oh, I know that your podcast is heard nationwide and internationally. So I just explain <laughs> what Lurick is. <laughs> Long Island Library Resources Council uh, provides. We're a nonprofit that provides continuing education for Nassau and Suffolk counties in New York. Uh, we're one of nine councils in the state. And even though we're small staffs, we actually provide a huge amount of programming to a very um, large and diverse population of librarians from every kind of library, which is public, academic, school, museum, archives, uh, any kind of library, health sciences libraries. So we have a lot of programming on schedule year round. So, um, you know, I was away on vacation last week. Right before I left, I set up with Stony Brook University, who provides speakers on health topics to have an epidemiologist speak on how libraries would manage if schools shut down um, and what they should do. I got completely blown out of the water because by the time I got back, every library had been shut down. This was a program I was hoping to run this week or next week, or maybe canceling kids' programs or seniors' programs or cleaning the Legos or you know, uh, what kind of programs would be safe to run, what kind wouldn't, how we felt about touch screens, things like that, that uh, were, would be in a normal healthcare situation. And as everyone else has said, it's changed so rapidly that 
we haven't been able to keep up with the educational component that we're trying to provide. Um, so far as our own office is concerned, our first thing was we had the option for the uh, four librarians, uh, one director, Tim Spindler, and two coordinators, which is uh, myself and uh, our archivist, Nicole, and our program coordinator, Min, to uh, telecommute. Before we even had a chance to implement that, we were told the building that we were in was being shut down. And that's a Suffolk Cooperative Library System, and we would all be working from home. It just every time you make a plan, you don't have a chance to implement it. So we had a meeting today. We're doing all our work virtually about what programs to cancel. We've canceled everything through the end of March, and uh, we start to cancel early April. But again, we don't know what to do because uh, nobody has the answer. Should we cancel through April? Should we cancel through June? Should we reschedule? Would, if we move things online, would anybody come? I'm just curious about everybody's thoughts. If programs were moved online, I feel like people in such a state of anxiety right now that they probably wouldn't do a CE program. I, don't, I would say uh, because we're, we're, we're in uh, day three or day two. I've lost track. But it's only the, day the, three. The, the, <laughs> the, the, the like second, month. I know, but the second day we, we were all out and, and we just set up a Zoom meeting like this just for people to connect. So I, I think, Sally, people don't be, don't underestimate people's need to somehow connect, even if it's just uh, and, oh, like this. We did have one today. We had 70 participants. Ah, see? Wow, yeah. really? I, That's pretty I, cool. I honestly think, um, you know, we're used to being busy. We're used to doing the best we can with, you know, what we have. And I think it provides an outlet because, you know, with working from home, we're trying to figure out how that works for our profession. And yep. I think having these options really, um, you know, helps with that because we're, you know, we're told, okay, go work from home. Like, okay, how's that gonna work? And I think that these are times where we're going to see how much we can pivot and how quickly um, and I think it it definitely provides comfort for people to see their colleagues, to talk about library matters. You know, it feels like even yep. though we don't have control, we have our hands slightly on the wheel, even if we're, you know, using uh, our hand sanitizer every time we touch <laughs> the wheel. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's. And I think ahead, and I think the the idea of um, social interaction um, is good which makes the zoom thing really worthwhile because you can see people and you can talk to people i mean you can do that other ways as well but this social interaction is really important and the idea of going if you're working from home that there's there's still the need to learn and still the need to do professional development um that doesn't change so just doing it differently is the thing um it's the same with all library services. We just have to do it differently. How we do that, who we're still working out because it's a moving feast. But the need to do it and the need to um, engage with people and the need to for that social interaction is still really important. We might be socially distant, really distant at the moment, mm -hmm. but we, we still have the opportunity and the need to do that. Well, you know, and it's I interesting too. It's go really, ahead. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I'm sorry, Carol. No, I go was going to say, I wasn't thinking at, about it in terms of what Sally was presenting until just now. So the entire day, we were all on our laptops, all working remotely, working from home, coming up with the next post and how we're going to get this message out and where we're going to use MailChimp and where we're going to time these different events. 
And I thought, oh my gosh, I, I'm going to be on this podcast tonight. And I'm just so tired. And then I sat down and I'm like, I'm so happy to see everyone. Kelly, <laughs> plan whatever you want. I'm showing up. No. Right? Yeah. So we're um, doing that weekly on Wednesdays. Um, mm -hmm. It's again through Zoom. So uh, it'll go out through the Long Island Librarians yep. listserv. But I'm also doing um, tomorrow and probably every week a Twitter chat for the social media librarians. Oh, that's great. Oh, that's nice. wonderful. Yeah, I yeah, didn't know that. The hashtag okay. is chat with Lilrick. Um, if anybody oh, wants okay. to just email me, it's tomorrow, uh, 11 to 12. So it's just a little um, slightly different opportunity for us to stay in touch. So this is good. I'm glad to hear that we're uh, learning and growing. Well, it's funny um, talking about how we got to this place. You know, when you're talking about you know, working from home, it's not like we're HR or we work for a bank or, you know, a lot of now, especially for what I do, so much of it is hands on with the public that I found it really interesting that when I'm at work, I'm trying to stay in the back and get paperwork done and getting all this done. And I'm getting so much more of it done now to the point where it's like, wow, I don't have that patron interaction, which is a, a big part of not just in, in our makerspace, um, but in the library as a whole. Think about your point of service as a reference librarian. Or if you're an academic librarian and you're you're doing you know you're working with the public, or yeah. Carol Ann with with the book discussions, what so much of what we do is hand to hand and face to face, yeah. and now that we've taken that that face to face away, and Jessica with your outreach as well, it, it, you're out yeah. and around. So the yeah. the fact that we're now remote, it, it, I almost think we're all Tom Hanks in Castaway without Wilson. So, yeah, I mean, I have to say that Friday the 13th, I was supposed to have a um, story time at a local cafe, and we'd been working up to having a monthly story time, and it's been getting great attendance, and he was so happy because, you know, it's brought atten um, attention to the local business, a, a local uh, cafe, and we had another big event happening, and, you know, it was it was so heartbreaking to cancel it and I put out as many notices as possible and then you know like stopped by with some crayons and coloring sheets in case people didn't get the memo so they could pick them up and go home and but it but it was you know when it was like work from home I was like okay but a big part of my job is getting people to come in or going out and having that face-to-face meeting with people in my community. So Jessica, um, are you aware that a lot of people are doing story times online? Yes. And a lot of the publishers are giving permissions to this yes. copyright. Yes, um, I am yeah. definitely aware. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, sorry, I was just gonna say that yeah. earlier um, yesterday uh, reached an agreement with publishers that um, special agreement on copyright, which allows for story times to happen online. Um, for the duration of the pandemic, virtual story times be sanctioned by an industry agreement, policy of the boards of the APA, Australian Publishers Association, and the Australian Society of Authors that their members suspend any requirements for copyright permission to be sought in order to allow libraries to make recording or live stream story times so children aren't denied this important and much loved service. That's so amazing. It's temporary, but yeah. yeah, but it's an ongoing thing There's, after the um... duration of the COVID-19. There's, I think, um, one of the um, the groups, I think, um, 
of uh, children's librarians or librarians who run story time, they have like a running Google document as to what authors, what publishers have given permission. And um, it's definitely something we're exploring uh, doing. Um, you know, of course, it, it depends because, you know, some of them are like, you can do it as long as, you know, it's within like a certain circuit, you know, you can yeah. live screen, stream, but it has to be gone within 24 hours. <clears throat> Excuse yeah. me. Um, another thing we're thinking of doing is um, overdrive title swaps, where we'll do like a quick video on social media under three minutes of a book that's available through streaming, overdrive, hoopla, whatever, um, and just kind of chat it up and be like, hey, we're all indoors. Here's a book that you can borrow with your library card. This is yep. why I like it. And there you go. That's been one I, interesting. I did, I, sorry. Go quickly. Um, yeah. I, I just saw a thing on uh, Twitter this morning, Neil Gaiman saying anyone can read his books on online, live stream, whatever. Yeah, he's he's always um, a big fan of libraries and librarians. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's just been interesting to see how that sort of generosity or whatever you want to call it, different companies. So we're, we're keeping track of things we can use in instruction and for our, you know, as our students start researching online. And just, you know, database companies adding material to databases, making things free. Cengage has done that. Uh, the Metropolitan Opera is yep. streaming streaming the Tuesday night, streaming their recordings of, of different performances. So, you know, it, it it's interesting to see the kind of largesse or whatever you want to call it, but the, the opportunity people are taking to to seem altruistic or make these things available. So. And something else that I found. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, so there's one other thing too that, that, and I think we can kind of transition to talking about what we can offer too. Um, just in terms of like, my kids don't go to dance anymore. But the, we still follow the dance studio they were at on Facebook, and the they were doing the lessons on Facebook Live with the kids. Huh. So they're actually still having dance class, but the kids are doing it at home. Now, yep. the, the, obviously, the instructor probably can't see the kids because it's not a Zoom thing like what you have here or like Google Hangouts or whatever. But the Debbie idea Allen that is doing one online too. What's that? Debbie, famous dancer. Do you know who Debbie Allen is? Yes, I, that that was the uh, next oh, thing I was going to bring up. Fame. Debbie Allen, oh, yeah. Go ahead, talk. She's doing it too. Yeah, Debbie Allen from Fame, from the the TV show mm -hmm. Fame and the movie Fame. Uh, she was doing uh, dance I lessons on name. on Facebook. Yes, <laughs> indeed. Yeah. I'm dating myself. <laughs> <laughs> but well, yeah, I'll tell you a funny story. We were come trying to come up with things to post, and we were doing all the. Someone said, "Well, let's post this free classical music," and it was wonderful. The, I don't know if it was a Philharmonic or somebody was posting about this. And then someone said, well, you know, we can post all of these pop culture artists and John Legend and Coldplay. And then I said, well, you know, what about, I see Neil Young has got a live stream <laughs> going. So yep. I was grandma in the crowd. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like everyone's getting involved and we're, being, yep. we're able to share that. And our, our children's librarian, Ms. M sat down and did a live version of well, live. She recorded live. <laughs> she did the elevator song. We had so much response from that and all of the kids were watching it. And it was like a huge event that she did this and all of the views that we got from it. And it's just a simple little thing that we did that was very, very successful and, and brought the community together. Um, I saw you. one on Facebook today, a uh, children's event, and I have to tell you, it just took me out of the anxiety and it felt so relaxing just to watch the lady at the piano playing the clapping song. 
<laughs> and Mo Willems with his artwork. Yeah. You don't yeah. want to see mine, but I did it. <laughs> I, I have to ask, um, because I know, um, Chris, what you're doing, um, you know, with expanding the pod, um, your podcast, Library Pros, Carol Ann. Um, I, at Syosset Library, I'm one of the hosts of Turn the Page, which is our weekly podcast. We're thinking of ways that maybe we could do like an extra five-minute episode or just something, because obviously we can record remotely, which Absolutely. is wonderful for social distancing. And we record down down in our basement, which is far away from everybody. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> uh, equipment's, equipment is portable. So are you um, are you looking at all to expand? Are you reaching out to authors who might be quarantined or who might want to chat? I have a long list of people that are raising their hand and saying, please, can can I get on? Can I come on? So yeah, I got a long list. I have things in the tank. I have things ready yep. to go. I'm still editing. My husband's like, who are you? Where are you? <laughs> well, you can't kiss him anyway, right? Yeah, I try well. Uh, another podcast. Another but, podcast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> PG podcast. <laughs> did you did you do like a call for um like you know like a fa like Facebook or Twitter you know if anybody wants to do something? So I have because of the fact that I do all of the readers advisory stuff. I have all of these connections with people that are books that are coming out or people that we may have missed last summer because they were on a book tour. So I said, oh, remember, do you want to come back on? So it's just been mm -hmm. this back and forth with people that kind of, I just know, like random right. house, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so it's just me as a matter of reaching out to them and they're reaching out to me. And I haven't said no to anybody yet. So I'm a little worried after this goes live, what's going to happen? <laughs> well, same here. I mean, you know, like anything, like five minute, what you're, what you're reading, you know, to, yeah. <laughs> to, to stave off the anxiety at this time. Yeah. I think that that's a good way. And, and the other thing we did is we yeah. boosted a lot of our purchases of overdrive advantage titles. So we really sort of, um, that was the thing today and we purchased a lot of different books so people have access to it. And then mm -hmm. once we figure out what titles there are, then my goal is to, if you're not tired of listening to me, you actually have to look at my face while I give readers advisory from my kitchen. So, yep. <laughs> Um, but that would be the goal to at least say, we've got these titles available. You can download it and et cetera, and then tie it into hopefully some movie that might be available on Canopy or Hoopla mm -hmm. and stream it as well. Okay, it's interesting folks. to see that Macmillan uh, have dropped their uh, 36 borrowing too. Yeah. 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 Yes, yeah. Yeah. I didn't know if that was in Australia too. If they were. I think so. Yeah. 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 What, what a stupid, stupid <laughs> decision anyway. Yeah. Definitely interesting yeah. time for sure. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's, I was um, just, you know, you hear a whole bunch of different things on the radio and the way information is, is flowing now that you hear something and a nugget of whatever it was sticks in your head and the rest of it kind of flies out. Um, I had seen, and again, this, we could try to find a way to make this work for a library service. Um, in, in the whirlwind of, of news stories that I'm trying to read that is not talking about, coronavirus um i saw something about uh doing a netflix movie club yes where it right. and caroline you're smiling so right. take it over because yeah. i only that i <laughs> i read two seconds of it so from what i understand oh, is yes. a bunch of people watch the movie in real time together and then Correct. either text back and forth with each other or do it over some type of you know whether it's you know snapchat or whatsapp or or even if it's a Twitter hashtag or something. 
and you have like That's a discussion. Great. Like, let's say we're watching Jaws. It goes, oh, Quint's going to get it. You know, and <laughs> Carol Ann and I are both Jaws junkies. So, um, part of the problem that everybody watches at a different time. Yeah. So maybe if something, was something broadcast, we could all see at the same time. We could do that. Right. You have to set your clocks. Uh, Rogers and Hans <laughs> synchronizes. Yeah. Yeah. Cinderella is going to be broadcast this Friday. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, I didn't hear that. That sounds great. Yeah, Friday. So talking about some of the things that we can do when the building is not around. Um, and I, I kind of thought about this again, one of those fleeting thoughts that you have in your head and the chaos of listening to all the updates with the news. Um, we offer so much and always have on the digital end. So whether it's Hoopla, uh, Flipster or canopy. Um, canopy or whatever it is, this this is an, digital, right? and, and and if anybody who's listening to this who works with me is sick of hearing me say you know taking lemons and making lemonade, this is a great opportunity for libraries to make a lot of lemonade because there's oh, yeah. all these services that we have mm-hmm. that I mean let's face it our stats are good for library land but if you were Netflix mm-hmm. you'd be out of business um, you know if there is a way we could push out there to the world through through social media and through maybe even getting a celebrity or two involved in one way, shape, or form. Um, now, I'm talking like, you know, Long Island celebrity. I'm not talking like Tom Hanks. Um, so like Bagel Boss. No, like Bagel Boss or, you know, Joey <laughs> Butterfuco. Or, yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, I went there. Sorry, guys. And this is where Rob's like, what is he talking about? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I haven't heard that name in a long time, and I'm happy about that. Yes, exactly, exactly. But the idea of promoting like things like Canopy, which a lot of people might know about, but a lot of people don't know about, mm-hmm. and the fact that you can get all these great documentaries and stream them at home with your library card, and promoting what yeah. is on there and what is available. That's a great service, not only just for Canopy, but for the library in general. And you can also do like an online book club. No, that's right. another way of doing things. What, sure. what we're doing on Friday at Merrick is we're posting a canopy link to, they have that incredible uh, great courses series. Mm-hmm. Mm. One of their great courses is this mindful meditation. And yep. it's sort of how to, um, you can em- employ yoga tactics and deep breathing and how to eat right and try to decompress with all of this negativity and all of this uh, world in which we live right now. So I immediately said, well, let's push this out there because I know Canopy has so much stuff. I don't know that everybody has is knows that it's there, that they have it access to yeah. it. One of the posts we're gonna be putting up, Rob, so good point. So, I mean, just when we talk about the digital branch and these collections, there's almost a little bit of homework we have to do, you know, prior. Mm-hmm where you know we've all seen like uh, folks going to uh, get toilet paper and the shelves are barren and we know that these collections even in the best of times are pretty stretched right we know there's extended wait lists so when we start shouting from the rooftop about the library the the digital library or mm-hmm. you know digital branch being open 24 7 there's some homework to be done i think for starters we need to, in Suffolk County recently, we just opened up where folks could apply for a temporary card, which is super important because people can't come in your doors. They may experience a problem with their card. You need to be able to grant temporary access to digital collections. So that's a yep. good first step. And that's something libraries have to do. Separately, 
we know that our print collection is going to have a bad year, right? We're not letting folks in. People are hesitant to, mm -hmm. to you know, touch surfaces. And so that's an opportunity to reallocate resources anyways, because, you know, everybody wants that Patterson the first month it's out, that demand drops. And that's an opportunity for us to kind of at least move some of the print into the digital and shorten those holds. And then if we're going to draw attention to some of these collections, some of those models work better than others, you know, like, like your hooplas, right, where at least the stuff is always available, although you might have an upwards limit that a patron can hit um, versus one copy, one checkout that can be tougher. Um, so th th those are some of those things that we have to kind of look at first before we say, hey, everybody go to overdrive. And then right. that first experience for some people is going to be a terrible one. It's going to tell them it's going to be four years before they can get <laughs> a book. Yeah. You can uh, filter by read now. You can. You know, so mm -hmm. available now. But, you know, it, it's like uh, if all of a sudden they, I get the Gary Busey collection for streaming, <laughs> it's like, well, I'm sure some folks would be happy, but. <laughs> I mean, what, what's interesting is we're, we're all in this, you know, forced grand experiment to see what will, what will stick, what will survive this. And for us at the university, it, it's a lot of it is teaching. So my job, a lot of it is, is instruction. So how do we do that online? when we used to do it face to face in a class, now we have to not only do the faculty have to get used to doing it online only, but how do we deliver instruction either synchronously like this, we're all at the same time or something where we record it and they can come and watch it over a week or two. You know, so we've been doing a lot of Zoom <laughs> this week. We're getting yeah. up to speed on all the different uh, tricks that you could use with it, but it, it will be interesting. You know, will people be desperate to get back to normal at the end of this or will be some things fall away and we'll be in a sort of a new paradigm? Well, that's a good question too. You know, it, let's say we go full bore on this, you know, on the digital collection that we do have and our gate counts are going down anyway. Um, what happens if, and I, I Again, this is a hypothetical. We all know they're coming back. But what happens if the patrons don't come back? Well, I think that is the, the, the trick, really, is this will end at some time. And at the end of this, people will be craving community <laughs> like nothing. And the, yeah, and the I agree. opportunity that we have to create what will be the new normal after this is is a huge thing to think about. So as well as doing what is our normal job, whatever that is, um, when we're working at home, we then have to think about, we also have to think about, so what do we do at the end of this? When this finally ends or gets back to no more social distancing and all that kind of thing, that whatever the new normal is, what do we do then in order to create community and create spaces that allow people to get back together again and to create new content and all that sort of stuff? Um, that's going to be a huge challenge that, that is lying in front of us at some point down the road. I, um, I wanted to just mention really quickly, because um, I know you were mentioning something about a, a, a temporary Suffolk card. Uh, that was Nick, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the, one of the things I think that, we've at least you know for a while libraries have done is you know everybody can get a library card but depending you know like you need all of these things and you need to come in in person and you you need to you know promise your third born or whatever uh to get this library card and i think 
one of the things um, I know for Syosset that's come out of it is we implemented um, an online card application where um, we will we will give a car digitally to somebody. And we've also extended that for employees of the Syosset um, Central School District. So uh, we and that was just I think like today and we've already had three people fill it out. So there's a demand. People want yep. library cards. And I think that that does bode well for the community coming back. And that also bodes well for us because we're building a bridge. We're like, yeah, okay. So we know that we usually say you need all of these things to get a library card, but we're going to go ahead and make it as easy as possible. So you can start streaming our things. And when we open our doors, you know, you will feel welcome because we did our best to reach you out there. Yep. And and that idea of making things as easy as possible, um, because people, once they get to stay home for a while, will go, I am bored out of my brain. Mm -hmm. I need content to read, to stream, to whatever. Um, and libraries have it. And making it as easy as possible to get hold of that content is, that's a, primary thing to do so bob i have a question for you from the it end of things hmm. now i know a lot of these subscriptions and things don't necessarily go through your server but what are your challenges as the it guy um the director of information technology over at ms clark um with regard to having the employees work from home do you allow them to port into your server do you allow them to you know tell us what it what it's doing for for your end of things it's certainly um an unprecedented circumstance so i'll tell you what we've done for a long time mostly for for my ability to remotely support the staff um, we've had team viewer on all of the machines um so when managers need to get in and get to the stuff that's on the local server or they can do some things on google drive as well um we just honestly have to set a a, a permanent password and they can jump right in as long as their machine is on uh some of the stuff you know, like payroll and things like that. We have essential staff that will show up at the library and still sort that out. Um, but from an IT perspective, it wasn't that far of a jump because we already had that ability. So every machine in our building already had the product called TeamViewer and there are other products. Uh, there's a, I forget, a global, global support tool that you can download as well, that's free. Um, we already had that on the machine. So honestly, to make them work from home was pretty quick and easy. Uh, as far as phone systems went and departmental voicemail, um, we have that so that it sends directly to an email address. So that was already set up. So because we're, we're kind of in a technology forward world uh, and Emma's kind of been on the front, uh, the forefront of some of that, um, like many of the other libraries in Suffolk and Nassau County and different parts of the country uh, and globally, um, it, was, it wasn't a bad transition. It was really just a, a day of kind of like, all right, who needs the access? Um, how do we get them the access? Where do we send these voicemails and things? And we could all kind of stay in contact. Well, and, you know, I'm just thinking in terms of um, also this, the streaming services don't necessarily have to go through your server, right? I'm, I'm being a little ignorant here. I'm sorry. They um, don't. Yeah. No, absolutely not. They don't. I mean, so most, uh, many of the services you can use from outside the library. Um, and we have like easy proxy and things like that, that kind of uh, allow the patron to use it with just their barcode. Um, so that what that's what makes um, having, like Nick said, uh, being able to sign up for a library card and open up all those services when you can't physically come in and present your third board, you know, is, is just such a, a great thing to, to, to have available. And that was just right reopened or just 
Yeah, they just turned that on. Yeah, that was a a function of Sierra, right? Yeah, well, I think in part the the system isn't perfect, but again, um, and I forget uh, if it was Jessica or Robert, I think both of you touched on it. We're discovering like how important is it to have these fights (laughs) versus now, (laughs) listen, at the end of the day, we're in a pandemic. Yeah, it's small potatoes in the grand (laughs) scheme of things. And you're seeing that from publishers. Do they want to keep punching down the libraries? Is this the best time to do that? Yeah. Um, Well, and and just as stay on the IT for a second. What what I think this will also test is our, you know, infrastructure across the country, the the broadband and the not everyone has the same internet connection as others. Yep. And we have we have students that are, you know, dispersing to all across the country, some going back to other countries. And to expect them to go online and, and learn and, you know, watch videos like we're making, whereas mm-hmm. they might not have the connection. So hopefully one thing that come might come out of this is a commitment to getting everybody the same kind of access. Mm. And to your point, Chris, the first, we weren't closed, we weren't even closed 24 hours. And on Facebook, um, a patron asked us, how far does the library's Wi-Fi reach out into the park? (laughs) Oh, wow. So I had to give them instructions. I had to give them instructions (laughs) like, all right, listen, there's an access point in children's, so go park in these spots (laughs) and it'll work. And uh, they were happy to hear that. So, I mean. So so as most public libraries, their Wi-Fi is still on, like you can. Yes. Catch some of oh, it. Yeah. 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 There's people. And you know what? Yeah. yeah. Hmm. And that points to like the bigger topic of what happened to our staff and what happened to us is our normalcy was interrupted like immediately. Yep. Hmm. And that happens. That happened to the patrons too. And we've worked so hard in our libraries to give them quiet space, to give them collaborative space, to give them space where they can, you know, make right. So like the studio that that Chris has over at Satrum Public Library. Everybody take a drink. Um, <laughs> that's a free plug. That's a free plug, Chris. But right, we've worked so hard to give them these individual spaces where they can make, where they can create, collaborate, and have quiet time. Yeah. And now suddenly it's gone. And yeah. we have to remind them that we're just not a building. We're not just a meeting space. We have thousands of databases and community, you know, community groups that you can that you can uh, still use our services. I, I have to I have to just jump in there when you're talking about, you know, like one of the things that I do at Syosset is sort of like kind of try to reframe what the building is. So, right. you know, we've run like conventions, we've had pop-up programs where, you know, there's like food tastings in the middle of our main area. And now it's just like, yeah, but we're also not our building. So right. that's yeah. been exactly. sort of an interesting yeah. direction to be like, all right. So, you know, like I got like thousands of people packed into the library for this. Right. But then, you know, we're not just our buildings. Right. So. By the way, we have all that. So, I mean, it's like everybody yeah. has said so far, it's a tremendous opportunity for us to pivot. You know, yep. and and uh, and if and if we do it right, or or if we throw a bunch of stuff against the wall and we see what sticks, and then we put more energy at what sticks, we could we could really oh, yeah. have a a different sense of of what libraries can do for people. I really oh, think yeah. it's important totally. that we could use this for future advocacy to talk about how libraries stepped up and pivoted oh, yes. so rapidly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I'm sorry, Rob. Just uh, sure. Sally, to your point too. I mean, I think partially this is why we've we've had a hard time with these closures is at least the state side and especially most of us are here in uh, New York is we look at Sandy, you know, is like the most recent hurricane Sandy as what libraries did after a disaster. And we were able to step in 
and be charging stations and kind of uh, perform real community service. And, uh, and in this case, and that's their inclination now for a lot of people, they want to step in when the school is closing and a lot of these public spaces are closing. And that's been a difficult thing because not all disasters are created equal. And in fact, you know, the best thing we can do early on here is to just to create separation <laughs> and uh, in truth is close. Um, but I know a lot of folks that, that, you know, we think of ourselves as an essential service and it's been much trickier. And that's a good point to make too when it comes to Superstorm Sandy when we had that, that, that horrible storm the building was the focus and the focus of the community and the support for the community where now the building has been for lack of a better way to describe it stripped from us and also our sense of our actual sense of community has been stripped from us where literally everybody could potentially be the enemy your own husband your own wife your own kid they could have corona and not know it and give it to you and not know it so everybody's kind of like not just even in terms of the community in the library but even within your own home you're just like do you have it do i have it zone episode ever (laughs) yeah you're not kidding like our own we're enemies to each other so to to strip the building away from us which is the 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 stereotypical anchor of what a library is. It's the building. You say, I'm going to the library because it's the thing. It's the, the, the thing that's most recognizable for us as our, our, our identity is the building. And think about, you know, when you go to another library, what are you looking at? You're looking at their building and you know, yeah, you could talk about their programs and the tech and all that stuff. But the first thing that you think about is the building. So now the building has been stripped from us. So the emperor is not wearing any clothes and we're trying to figure out what's next. So I think some, some of you were right in that this is a test and an opportunity to see what we can do digitally. Hey, James. <laughs> is James in? Hey, we've got the full Brady bunch now. Hey, everyone. Sorry, I'm really late. I know we're being recorded right now. But, James Hutter uh, from Port Washington. Hi, James. Port Washington. Hi, James. How you so, doing, James? Hi. Doing good. We just had uh, a board meeting that was done completely remotely, which was very helpful. We were able to get a lot of planning done and make it all official. What did you use for that? Did you use Zoom? So we used Zoom meeting to make yeah. that happen. Anybody want to buy stock in Zoom? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Two <laughs> months ago, yeah. It's the only stock that's doing well now, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Talks. That's yeah. probably right. So I'm jumping in. I don't want to interrupt. Go for it. Go for it, James. Oh, not at all. We on, ju- we're just talking about how our, the buildings have been stripped from us, and that's been I- our identity for so long. And now we had talked earlier about um, how you know we're, this, now we're tasked almost to be digital and to, to, to show some of the digital services we have and being really unique and creative in our social media and some of the, you know, to show that we're more than just a building. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for us, like the board tonight was basically like the whole direction of the library has changed. And now it's a matter of just getting the staff on board with that. Um, I think just on a personal level, I know a lot of people in the community are going to start to really feel lonely and it's going to be important for us to engage like any way we can. Um, I know families have already responded to our Facebook posts, like thanking us for like things like Hoopla, which is streaming movies and eBooks that are uh, spoken and things like that. So we're going to have to just do more and more and more of that. And even when this virus subsides, 
people are going to be reluctant to go to the library. I think that's just my gut feeling. And we're going to have to still lean on this. People are just going to be hesitant to go to public areas and congregate in big groups. Well, I always think in terms of after 9-11, when the first plane started to fly again, and when the passengers were going on, the flight crews were standing there and applauding the, the passengers as they went on the plane for the first time. Yeah, um, right. I can, I, I, it's not beyond the pale to think that that would be something that would happen in libraries as the patrons start mm-hmm. walking back in. We kind of, you know, maybe we're not patting them on the back or shaking their hands yet, but mm-hmm. we're at least, you know, we're clapping as they walk in or something like that. <laughs> Let's offer free books. Free books. <laughs> lots of, <laughs> lots of Purell everywhere. There is mm-hmm. Purell everywhere and books. Think of that as a maker program. If you want. Think of that as a maker program where you make your own uh, hand sanitizer. Oh, man. I've already seen posts about how to do that. There was an item on the news tonight, a brewery somewhere, I forget where it was, but they switched to making uh, hand sanitizer with the alcohol they were brewing. Wow. <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> you had Tito's vodka had to put out an official. Did you press see that? that was yeah, yeah. yeah. Use it to Anybody know that yeah. SNL skit? It's a, it's a floor wax. It's a dessert topping. <laughs> it's, here, it's, it's a hand, hand sanitizer. I, I just picture you know having to explain why I'm coming to work smelling like Tito's vodka. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. We already know, Nick. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he is a clean freak. Yep, that's it. <laughs> ask you guys, do you think we need to have management internal planning for this kind of emergency? We have the other kind of emergency, snow days planned and I yeah. think terrorists. Now we need this yeah. kind of planning. Well, you're right. Um, it's one of those things where we could not, I mean, unless you had a director that loved apocalyptic movies, um, I don't think you and and you could joke about the guys that are you know the was that an organization is ready for the zombie apocalypse or something like that. Now you can make the argument that they were actually ready for this. Um, <laughs> so unless your director was a part of that community, um, I don't think we could have reasonably. I'm not going to say we could have couldn't have totally foreseen this, but I think reasonably, this is not something that we could have foreseen to the degree that it happened. The same way. Pre-9-11, nobody would ever think something like that could ever happen. Now, this isn't necessarily a nefarious act done by an evildoer. This is more of a, um, it, it's an, whether it's an act of nature or, or you know, whatever you want to characterize corona, it's something that yeah. happened that arose from nature in one way, shape, or form. And, you know, you have to say to yourself, do we have to have... Like we've been, the, one of the big pushes and focuses has been on for, uh, on uh, active shooter training. Now, do we need to have you know virus training as well? Um, I don't know that this could have been predicted and had you know a policy in place like your AED or or an active shooter. But I know, sure as anything, it's going to be something that's going to be talked about now. Sure. I, I think. Right. We'll- can you imagine if this was 10 years ago and we really didn't have Zoom? We'd be doing like a wiki. You know? Yeah, right. Jeez. Oh, We'd all be on CB radio. What is it? Pandemic planning? I mean. Well, I, one of the things I, I saw a conversation was the, the strategy that turned out to be the most effective. You had to be willing to look like you were overreacting. Right. And yes. so to take take yeah. that hit. And then if it worked, people would have not known that you were the, you know, that that's what did it because it would have mitigated a lot of the damage. So I think a lot of, a lot of institutions, we all kind of watched what was going on and, and took measures along the way. We all talked about how it happened sort of in sequence, but 
you you would have had to have you know bitten the bullet two weeks ago and say we're shutting down completely and it, yeah. that just wasn't happening right and, just, and i mean yeah. just i'm sorry sorry we're not the first country no, go ahead we got to see how the countries got through this mm -hmm. right right and i don't i know i'm not the only one james as well was at pla when this was really unfolding and um, people were unnerved i would say yeah. all the conference attendees were very much conscious of it and somebody would cough and everyone like would turn and look at that person <laughs> because it was already becoming something that we are aware of and starting to fear a little bit yeah it's not socially acceptable to cough in public anymore. Not right anymore. and i Nothing. mean we're talking about you know can you plan for this and sure now that we know it's a thing mm -hmm. but pandemic really challenges our institutions in particular you know a lot of us now have upcoming public votes mm -hmm. and we have open meeting yeah. laws and we're trying to square those things <laughs> yeah with you know self-quarantine directions and and executive orders that are sometimes slow to come um you know because in terms of open meeting laws and our budget votes we've already put out public notices there's a certain machinery that goes on um, for us we're expected to have a public budget presentation on march 30th um, you know to predate the actual public vote on april 7th and right. doesn't seem likely that's going to happen but there's no easy way to unring that bell um, short of an executive order or kind of skunking our own budget vote mm. So, Nick, I don't know if you're aware, and I don't know if everyone here is from New York, but the governor has actually suspended the open meeting law and is allowing trustees to meet via telephone conference call or video conference and things like that, which has given us a lot of flexibility and ways to yeah, that's, sort of be a little bit more nimble. That's definitely helped with, uh, you know, in terms yeah. of meetings the the machinery of the vote itself not so much yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no. well there's even a question Especially, whether or not the, yeah. the the primaries are going to happen and right now cuomo is saying our governor is saying uh he does not foresee uh postponing the uh the primaries like they did in ohio hmm. but as everyone said it's a pandemic it's happening all around the world yep. everything is changing all the time what's happening in the US is where we will be in probably a week's time. What's happening in Italy is where you will be probably in a week, you know, a couple of days time, weeks time. It's an evolving thing all the time. And how elections will happen, how votes will happen, how your Democratic and Republican conventions will happen. Who knows? Mm -hmm. It's all down the road somewhere. And who knows what will happen? China has shown that, you know, you get to a point and then it starts to go down. So that's, and South Korea, the same thing. It gets yeah. to a point, then it starts to decrease. So there is that. It's just, if you go hard enough, early enough, that can happen. But to flatten that curve, but how that... Oh, oh Chris, you're Chris, yes, no. easy. <laughs> I muted my cough. Yes, yeah. I'm, I'm dying. Yes. It's Chris for the record. Yep. Yeah, it's Chris. I'll share a, the Tito's, Chris. Nice get the Tito's. Chris. <laughs> I'll, I'll share a personal story with you guys from the Emma Clark um, direction you guys probably haven't heard. But Ted Gutman's our library director. He was in Italy uh, just four weeks ago. Wow. And so I'll tell you the story because it all worked out really well. If it didn't work out well, I couldn't share it. But um, so about four weeks ago, he was in Italy. He went on a very... Uh, scheduled vacation. Um, the day he flew back, they were at 155 infections. It was the day he landed back in New York. 
Um, he emailed the board and said, hey, I'm back, but just out of an abundance of caution, we've all coined that phrase now, should I self-quarantine? What do you think? And back then now in America, it was nothing. You know, we weren't even thinking it was going to be anything big because the numbers were just, you know, climbing in different areas. But of course, America wouldn't be affected that way. And our board had the forethought to say, please do, you know, please do self-quarantine for two weeks, just in case, again, out of an abundance of caution. The very next day, Italy jumped to 755 and he was in two weeks of, of self-quarantine. And that started to tell at least the library how serious this could be. But it appeared like everybody was overreacting. You know, why is Ted staying home? You know, why, how bad, you know, could this get? And then two weeks elapsed, he came back, he, you know, had no infections, no signs of it, him and his wife were fine. And he just came back to work um, on this past Friday. And now look at our numbers, look at Italy's numbers today. Yeah. Look at them, they were over 7,000, I think on Friday or something like that. And now, you know, forget yeah, it. 457 it. overnight died. Right, exactly. So now we look at it like, my God, if we hadn't done that, you know, and he had gotten infected, it would have been a different, totally different story. Well, you so. talk about the, the guy in New Rochelle, the attorney. He's yeah. like patient zero in New Rochelle, where he and infected what fifty people or more than that. It had to be more than that because he walked he through Grand Central. Over two hundred. He walked through Grand Central right. Station and That's, walked down, yeah. you know, to Forty Second Street and and ended up in his office in his building, and it just, yeah. you know, he was like I mean, patient zero for for New York. To yeah. bring it back home to libraries, like it was recently announced that it's a Queens College library staff member who worked in the library at the university that was infected and that led to the whole university being shut down. Wow. Oh my God. Yeah. Armydale, so. I believe, has that situation shut down mm -hmm. because on campus. Now hasn't Stony Brook I, I don't want to put anybody on the spot, but I think I heard Stony Brook University actually the dorming folk they moved them out. They're they're sending, yeah, most of them home. Some of the international students are staying, so there'll be a very minimal population there, but yeah, most of them know. are now. Yeah. Wow. Do you know how every year there's a dictionary word of the year? I forget which dictionary response he said. I think it's going to be social distancing. It has to social, be. It has sure. to be. Yeah. Pandemic yeah. or self-quarantine. I mean, because that captures the zeitgeist of 2020. Well, and, and what what is what have you adopted at your different libraries? What are you calling this period? Is it is it the break? <laughs> is it is it the pandemic time? Is it you know, history has not yet named what we're going to call this time, and I'm just mm. curious what it, what it will be. Armageddon. <laughs> well, it's funny because we keep saying to our kids, keep a journal, write down everything mm -hmm. that's happening. Because when you when you have grandkids and they're studying about it the same way our kids are studying about nine eleven, it's history for them. Yeah, you know they can hand this diary over to their grandkids and say, I lived it the same way our grandparents lived through the the depression and World War Two and all that stuff. And don't you wish they would have kept the journals? 1918 Spanish flu. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Which is the closest example of what this is. That's a good point because every, you know, it always feels like there's like, you know, every few years there's a big sickness of the year. You know, there's, uh, what is it, H1N1, swine flu, right, there's, right. you know, there's SARS. SARS. Hi, yeah. everybody. I had SARS. Mm -hmm. Just putting right. that out there yeah. and survive. <laughs> I was a SARS survivor here. Yeah. There's, uh, you know, um, avian flu and so you know just like how are we to know especially in library world we're like all right that person looks sick let's keep our distance you know in the past how are we supposed to know that this was going to turn into what it was right being so used to this happening every few years finding out that this one is 
different. Mm. Well, I think that was part of the, what, where the complacency came from, where mm-hmm. that, you know, like, oh, yeah, well, Ebola came, you know, they, they said the same thing about Ebola, Ebola yeah. and they said the same thing yeah. about H1N1, and they said the same yeah. thing about this and about that. It's not going to get here. It's all the way over there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it made it here. Cause oh, it's like the people that try to, you know, wait out a hurricane or sit through it. And I was at Stop and Shop last night, and I've never seen the shelves as empty for any hurricane as I saw the other mm-hmm. night. Yeah. Whole aisles gone. Yeah. Yeah, it it's very disconcerting. So, what? So so to bring it around full circle. How do we and and maybe not how do we, but what happens when the public comes back? What do we do? Um, so do I'm, we just do we make a lot of? Do we have tons of Clorox wipes available? Yes. You know, do we? That's the new normal. Do we have them on our belts and just hand them out to people? Hands-on programming. I mean, we've been hands-on, hands-on this, hands-on that. Yeah, food, spaces, all that stuff, yeah. Legos and coloring stations. and Makerspace, scan your documents, everyone's touching. Yeah. Everything is a touch, a touch screen this and a touch table. Are we changing that? Do we not want to touch so it? I mean, now what's coming in is this wave effect. Have you heard about that? So we could we could see the, the curve flatten off and then we introduce society again, right? And it, and it jumps back up again. So they're talking right. about several mm-hmm. waves of this happening which means which means if we're opening our doors back up we have to a let them know that everything in the building is clean right and b that they have their personal um, workspace so they can clean their personal workspace with uh, i'm sure products that we're going to have to provide or bring their own but we no longer want shared the, computers the, that wave effect could be a big right. deal so we yeah. think it's over yeah. and then boom here it comes back again that could happen two or three or four times from what i'm looking at so. one thing um, keyboards yeah i mean I'm, that's a market I'm personally worried about before we even unlock that door to let the public in, what is going to be the intake process for staff where we can clear them to start working again? How do we know if they've been infected? You know, are they going to infect others? Uh, Is there going to be a way where we can test everyone and then clear them? Right. Or we do a thermal screening, right? Where we make sure you don't have a fever or something Mm -hmm. like that, like other people Mm -hmm. are doing. I I know, um, you know, uh, when we talk about reopening, uh, for, to the public, um, because obviously there's things going on behind the scenes at Syosset. Um, you know, we talk about it being gradual as time goes on. Um, you know, we could offer some limited services and then move to the full model that we're used to. Um, you know, our building generally, I, I think um, people are aware that our building is really clean. Um, so I don't think that that's really what the issue of convincing them is going to be. Uh, but yeah, as I said before, I definitely see like hand sanitizer, Clorox wipes being everywhere. And I think that that's going to be the new normal. I think people are going to really kind of latch onto that for security. Well, I, I think too, there's, there's a communications challenge because, you know, the expectation that we're going to be this clean room that nobody can ever get sick ever is entirely unrealistic. And I think there's a recognition that a lot of people are going to get sick. The idea is, is to not have a lot of them get sick at once and yep. overwhelm the healthcare system. Right. You know, obviously this is much deadlier than the flu uh, based on, you know, numbers right now. Um, but we don't close during flu season, but we also have a flu vaccine. And I think because this is yeah. round one of something Correct. and there's no herd immunity, there's none of this, right. it is trickier. But the idea that like 
even now, I guarantee you, people have passed through a libraries that had, you know, had the virus. I just for sure. public buildings, mm -hmm. and we keep setting these firewalls that can't possibly hold. You know, in the U.S., where we were like, well, West Virginia doesn't have it. Well, of course, West Virginia had it. <laughs> right, of course. Um, and it gives a sense of impending doom where these red lines get crossed that have couldn't possibly hold. So, you know, I think to Jessica's point us reopening is going to look a lot like us closing which was in reverse which right. is yeah. you don't dive right into programming you right. start by opening your building and staffing it lightly and you know it moves on to maybe passive programming and you're watching your distance and you know you're doing those things to mitigate risk and that's all we can do is mitigate risk we can't eliminate risk hmm. And then, yeah, maybe then we get back to a place where we were, but it's not immediate. And we know this is going to be longer than a year, mm. um, yeah. you know, in I terms of the, the high to, risk. Yeah, I mean, we have a little chat going on here. I know this is being recorded, but Rob actually found a tidbit here. Like the Spanish flu came in three waves that were big. So I think we have to start thinking about 2021 and 2022 yeah. and start thinking about protocols and things like that. I don't think this is going to be a one and done type event. Right. No, I think I, the, I, I, sorry, I do think we need to look at what they did in 1920 and 1921. So after 1919, I know in Sydney, like places got shut down left, right and centre. Nobody went into public and all those sorts of things. Um, and that was before there was in, you know, everything. Um, so what they did in 1920 and 1921 might be where we need to look to see, well, what did they do then? And to get people back to normal because it got back to what we've now known as normal. What will be the new normal? Hmm. I, I, yeah, go ahead. I, I have a colleague who's been teaching. She's moved online, but she brought up uh, the Spanish flu epidemic and looked at some primary sources for students in Library of Congress and old, you know, we have the newspaper databases we can, yep. we can dig into. So, I mean, it's, it's a, teachable moment too to kind of bring mm -hmm. up those those old um events and see how they reacted back then by looking at the actual you know documentation yeah. and part of it also is whether or not we're going to actually have a um a vaccine by then an effective vaccine right. because you know when this came out we basically don't have an immunity to this that's why it's so virulent and yes. um yeah. and once we get something that can get some kind of antibodies into us so we can have a little bit of a resistance to it, then then maybe hopefully, you know, it just becomes another flu that we can just have to sweat through for two weeks and then it's over and it's not deadly the way it is now, especially for seniors. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. This makes me wonder about bringing back, I mean, uh, Nick was right, it's gonna roll out in the opposite direction, but how nervous are we gonna be bringing back 70 and 80 year olds to do oh, uh, yeah. or uh, infants to do uh, story time. They're, they're more than they don't have their vaccines yet, their normal vaccines. And they're crawling on the floor and, and all that other good stuff too. Locks in the mouth. Yeah. It. Mm -hmm. I, I think the next point though, it'll be like a leveled introduction. You know, maybe it'll be limited hours or limited, you know, toys and things like that. Because if it does come in waves, you know, I'm hoping that. Um, you know, officials would tell us, right, how the numbers right. are growing and what they're doing. And they would let us know, all right, you guys can be open this and you can do that. And hopefully the direction would come from the top down um, in a logical manner. But that's a lot to hope for, right? So. Well, and that's where, you know, for libraries, it's important that we provide 
accurate, authoritative information so that when people yeah. come back, they're making an informed decision. They're right. not making one that's that's you know they're not taking based on hearsay chances, or right. Yeah. Mm. Right. They understand what their risk is, and you know. Uh, Ultimately, and you don't want to sound callous about it, but life is about accepting accepting risk, right? right. And yep. we just all yes. have to, hopefully, yeah. when we're putting ourselves in a situation, it's an informed decision. We're aware of the risk. Because I, th what I'm troubled by is this idea that we're going to reopen and say, like, we're virus-free. Like, that's, that's mm -hmm. not how the world yeah. operates. Yeah. We're not a clean room. Um, yeah. And it's you're over-promising. Yep. I in general, I mean, you know, like we don't think about it necessarily, but you know, when we get into a car, which is a commonplace part of your day for most people, that's that's a risk. We've all uh, seen Chris drive. <laughs> so you know, it's just it's it's just I, I think that the words "new normal" has been tossed around a lot here, and it's just going to be a different way of looking at what risk is right i mean if, if i ha host a book discussion and i get yeah. 50, 60 people in, and they're all of a certain age you know that's just me telling them let's just hold off and we'll figure out a way to do it uh on facebook or we'll figure out another way to mm -hmm. host this crowd of people but i would never want them to come in um, You're not going to space your chairs six feet apart. I, in listen, the lobby even of... <laughs> if I tried with 50 or 60 of people yeah. of age, they're not listening to a lot of people. Yeah. And are we going to yeah. stop serving food at programs? Most likely. Yeah. Wow. Well, think about this now. Um, the day comes, the governor lists the state of emergency. The federal government lists the state of emergency. The clouds start to part. We start to see blue sky. And uh, Nick, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of look at you for this because this is kind of like your thing, um, being the ghoul in the room. Um, <laughs> how do we phase this back in? A, how do we phase this back in? And B, who is writing? Hopefully, somebody right now is sitting in their basement, the same way most of us are sitting in our basements, and writing down how we're gonna turn this machine back on. I think in terms of Jurassic Park, when they're trying to turn the computers back on. You know, where there's a checklist and then they got to prime this thing and then they got to hit this button and hit that. Who's writing that manual right now? And what is going to be off limits for six months, a year? You know, maybe no toys and children's, maybe no more trains. Maybe there's no more touchscreens. We go back to, I don't know, manual half, input. Yeah. You know, what Sally occupancy. said before, public computers. With Sally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. And half the occupancy. So if you had a, a meeting with 100 people, a meeting room that could hold 100 people. That's going to hold 50 or less for a while. If the rule is even yeah. lifted for more than 10 for a while, up to 50 right, or right. whatever it is. Yeah. So who's Literally writing that manual? Professional, professional development conferences are going to start to move online. Right. right. Oh, yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The huge economic impact of them being canceled. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like Alia's uh, national conference got canceled last week. Um, that was going to be in May. Um, the Silip Wales conference, which I was speaking at in may was also cancelled um i don't know what's happened to the ala conference i expect that being cancelled computers and libraries just got cancelled libraries just got cancelled yeah. 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 expo is medical next library association was cancelled yeah next yeah, so what all is that huge oh, sorry sorry yeah. Rob, i don't mean to interrupt. sorry like, what is all, that? all huge impacts yeah. anyway yeah. yeah economic impact too sure yep nick tansy what does that look like to turn us back on well i i think part of it like we said the closure 
gives us breathing room, right? To start making more informed decisions as we get better information. And I do think it looks a lot like kind of the reverse of what we did where it's gradual and we take a wait and see attitude. Um, I wouldn't, so for us, we canceled, we were able to stop the presses on our April newsletter um, because essentially we're putting stuff to print that I can't guarantee is accurate. Um, <laughs> and it's, you know, it, it's kind of like- guarantee it's inaccurate, right? At this point. Well, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, it's like steering a battleship, but separately, you know, we're all getting ready to write new rules and, and that does make sense. Okay, you want to learn something from this, but we do have a tendency to fight the last war um, and, you know, we all we all had super effective disaster recovery plans with hurricanes in my post Sandy. <laughs> right. And then you move to a pandemic and then you don't you never know what that next thing is. Focus. Um, you know, there's baseline, maybe. Yeah. But there's always, you know, things you should prepare for, you know, should have certain redundancies. And I think that's always a commonality in any disaster recovery plan. Right. You don't want one person holding all the keys. Okay continuity of service you don't want you should be able to have print and digital backups you know next time we're talking about emps here we are doing digital <laughs> right, right. Yeah, exactly. that's the next thing we got to prepare for yeah and there's gonna be a solar flare and it's like but we put everything in the cloud yeah. right. i can even laugh because who knows what is coming yeah, down the well, road uh, with, here. yeah at this and point that's where, you know I'm sorry. Extend, extend that speaking, uh, that thinking to to schools, and I'm sure a lot of us have kids. And my my wife's a high school librarian. Are are schools going to be coming back as slowly? I mean, I think there are some things just by the nature of them, they, they probably can't change. So they'll have to mitigate it within the bounds of going back to how they, you know, you're not going to have you know staggered schedules where half the school is in one day, half schools in the rest of the day, or something like that. So I think some of it will come down to, you know, personal hygiene. We're all going to have to wash our hands a lot more and that kind of responsibility. Yeah, I'm like, I'm on top of my kids. And one of my sons today was like, mom, why? (laughs) And, you know, I mean, he's young and I don't want to panic him, but he needs to understand that this is important. So, you know, like, well, because you have to. What about more outdoor programming? Yeah. Oh, Mm -hmm. right. No, that's go. a good one. Yep. So yeah. We got a lot of pushback when we canceled our exercise programs, and we were all like, we should just be doing a lot of this stuff outdoors. Right. Yeah. As long as the weather permits. The yeah. Which is okay, which is okay yeah. in your summertime, but it's a bugger in the winter. Yeah. <laughs> one of the first, one of the first mm-hmm. days we were closed, Chris, it was like 60 degrees, right? And I was like, oh, man, this figured. Yeah, exactly. You know? And what, Friday is going to be 70? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah. A, well, and it's, I guess I mean, not yeah. not everybody oh go ahead. <laughs> no, no, no. It's just, you know, we're waiting to see what are the new rules. And then right. you know, all our organizations are inventive enough to to work within whatever those rules are. You know, when we talk about indoor outdoor, we know we're getting separate guidance from the C D C, you know, on how large a meeting can be based on if it's happening indoors or outdoors. So that that's something that can inform your decision making going forward. Um Although we have we have very different weather patterns, you know, uh, ordinarily we're pining after Australia's weather, and I'm like, whoa, look at Australia's weather, that's crazy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you know, burn, burn. What, what is the new normal? <laughs> well, how uncomfortable was that feeling though? Like we, I was at the library today for a couple of administrative duties, and when I walked out of the library on what should be a fully open day, you can feel mm-hmm. it in the air. It was mm-hmm. Chris, Chris, to your point. It does feel a little bit like 9-11, like when you walked out and the air is just yeah. different and driving down the road is just different. 
He was and super with, quiet. With yeah. 9 11, I feel like, yeah, yeah. with 9 11, it peaked so quickly, right? I mean, we had those those mass casualties and all that stuff. And then it was all about recovery and cleanup and things like that. So there was a response to it. This is so much more dragged out, and the response is so much more, you know, unknown. So the, one, the one thing I worry about is that when the New York State governor says that this is expected to peak in 45 days, right. this is going to be that 9 11 feeling for like weeks. Mm-hmm. And we right, really exactly. have to be ready for the mental health aspect of that. Yeah, you know, for our communities and for like our staff, and I think really this need is, to be touching base. Yeah, the, it's a good time to mention. I know a lot of libraries are starting to um, employ social work interns at their libraries. Mm-hmm. Maybe that effort will expand in the wake of this. Mm-hmm. Yes, that'd be a great I mean, online program too. Yeah. Yeah. True. Yep. True. Just think and in terms of Sally, yeah. what you were saying before. I'm, I don't mean to cut everybody off, but how you had that meetup. Um, on Zoom today, and you had how many? How many people show up? Seventy attendees. Seventy yeah. attendees. That's like annual mm. conference attendance. So think about <laughs> that in terms of mental health for us in the profession. Um, we're fortunate in our profession for the most part. I can't speak for every library, but as I can only speak for me, we're getting paid when we're not there. That's not true for most of the rest of the people that are out there in the world. Um, and in yeah. some libraries, if you don't work, you don't get paid. I get that, especially for part-timers. Uh, mm-hmm. So we're incredibly fortunate to have that um, benefit to what we do as a career. Um, so how do we, in terms of that that meeting, right, and, and having that Zoom, that Lorick Zoom conference or that, that Zoom meeting on uh, Wednesdays, talking about mental health and and being able yeah. and being paid for that there there's a certain amount of solace in the fact that we're getting paid and we're not at work so i think it tempers us a little bit more than it would be your restaurant worker or your construction oh, yeah. worker mm-hmm. yeah yeah casual staff are they're in a, a whole world of pain um some uh councils in sydney have granted uh 20 days of special leave um, for library staff to get through this initial period. Um, I don't know what's going to happen. So that's four weeks, basically, of of work. Um, so after a month, what happens after that? Who knows? Yeah, yeah exactly. I keep hearing the, the term, is it catastrophe? Um, pay. Pay, yes, yes. Well, yeah, it depends on um, right now Congress is hopefully in a bipartisan way, which hasn't been the, the huh. way for the last how many years, has uh, is trying to come up with some type of um, work work uh, relief for people. At one point they were throwing around giving $1,000 to every, every adult in the United States. And then they're talking about um, having some kind of automatic paid leave if you become sick with corona. And then there's just a leave with regard to being out of work because of shutdown. Um, they're haggling over a bunch of different things. Uh, we don't know what, as of the date of this recording, what how that's going to play out. Um, and if you're listening to this after that has come out, hopefully it has worked out. Um, but in terms of the stock market, in terms of everyday people's lives, a lot of people are going to get hurt by this. And what is the role of the library? in helping those people recover financially, uh, physically, mentally, and 
you know, how do we help people get back on their feet? We've done it once before with the recession. We did. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. it was, we were so busy. Yeah. We, that so was busy. like so, so busy. So what is our role in this post? Let's say we're, we passed the three waves. The building is now open. Even forget about that. Even digitally, how do we how do we do that as encompassing everything? How, how do we make that happen? We're gonna I'll tell take, you what. <clears throat> I'm sorry. Go ahead, James. I was just going to say we're going to have to take the lessons we learned from the recession, sort of blend them with this like new digital service model. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris, I'm going to put you uh, on the spot for a second, but I just learned of something that the Connectquad Public Library did, and it's called hashtag Library at Home. Yes. Um, if you guys mm-hmm. haven't seen it, it's connectquadlibrary.org, a whole page dedicated to what you can do um, with the library's resources from your home. And uh, it's not a plug because it's a, it's a personal relationship, but it's a plug because it's the best, you know, um, that I've seen done so far and so quickly to, to, uh, to rem- you know, remind patrons of the services that we offer outside the four walls that are now shut down. Yeah. And, and what's nice about that, too, is um, it's there. Yes, there's still the message on the website. We're closed until further notice, abundance of caution, blah, blah, blah. But what's jumping out at you more than that? are the tiles with the different services. And the way it was done by Jason, um, Jason Laddick, who's the assistant director there, is, is it's smart in its simplicity because they're just tiles um, with the different services. And you click on that, that tile, which is a big tile to click, and it brings you to that service. So it brings what we do digitally and kind of floats it to the top. Right. And you know what it does? Honestly, you know, and this would be the goal of, of many libraries, is it removes the top thread being coronavirus related. Mm-hmm. You know, so I mean, we've heard it. We know it's coming. We know it's here. We know it eventually will peak and it eventually will drift off. OK, now what? Right. So now what is the library doing for me in any way? You know, um, I think meetings like this and setting something up so that patrons can virtually attend something is is just genius because that allows them the contact. I mean, how much com- how much more comfortable do you folks feel just having this contact, the virtual con- being able to see somebody's face? Ask Chris. Oh, yeah. I've never I've ne- I'm never on camera, but I felt like I should be on camera. <laughs> You're right. It's just, it's just it's just so nice to be able to see people that yeah. you know yes. we know and that we work with. Think about what the patrons would you know do for like a, a bedtime story reading or something mm. like that. And right? and you get or, a glimpse you know. into their life because we're looking at curtains and doors and right. yeah, edges yeah. of people's kitchens. Yeah, so you, you see that they have yeah. lives out there and we're all surviving. <laughs> you know what? That's how I think you can help them get through it. Give them a, a, a the smallest exactly. sense of normalcy, right? Mm. That you could that yep. you can get them back into. See, and this um, is a backdrop, really. It's all Doritos and beer bottles behind <laughs> you. It's the green That's behind you. You're at a bar somewhere. Like, there shouldn't be that. Funyuns and Mountain Dew. <laughs> That's a balance. Declines a comment. <laughs> well, I have to say, we've been going on for an hour and a half. So oh. let's... It um, like 10 minutes because... I know, right? This is it's so cathartic, yeah. right? So yeah. I want to thank everyone for coming. So our list of people, again, if you've forgotten, is Rob Thompson down in uh, New South Wales. Um, Jessica, Jessica Chowton, good eye, mate. Uh, Jessica <laughs> Chowton from Syosset, and Sally Stiglitz from Lurick, and Carol Antak from the Merrick Library, and Chris Kretz, Stony Brook University, uh, Nick Tanzi, South Huntington Library, uh, Bob Johnson, who everybody knows is my co host on this podcast, and James Hutter from Port Washington. Thank you, everybody, for coming on. Uh, I think this has been insightful. No and if we can do this again, I think in a couple of weeks, that may be uh, helpful to our colleagues, I hope. Yep. 
Yeah, um, follow up. That's a great idea. Even sooner. Yep. Okay. Chris, don't, Chris, <laughs> yeah. don't forget to do that announcement where like none of our opinions are those opinions of the library. I'm going to play that next. Actually, true. guess what I'm going to hit right now. That's you ready? Pretty big. That's you pretty guys big can't right hear it, but here it comes. All right. Thanks, everybody. The end of another episode thank of the you, library. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, thank you for listening. Thanks, you. If you have any you questions stay. or comments yes, on this or too. any episode, click on the contact us form on our website, thelibrarypros.com. Visit us on Twitter at The Library Pros and on Facebook at facebook.com slash thelibrarypros. Don't forget to tell a friend or colleague and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Special thanks to our podcasting engineer, Dean Meyer. Remember, the opinions stated by The Library Pros and their guests are solely those of Chris and Bob and are not those of the Sachem Public Library, the MS Clark Memorial Library, or any other library. See you next time. You've been listening to the Library Pros Podcast. The Library Pros are brought to you by Pippin Productions and by the Library Pros themselves, Krista Christofaro and Bob Johnson. Special thanks to Sachin Public Library for providing space for this podcast. Until the next turn of the page, I'm your announcer, Carlton Welch.